0: Galatians chapter five, as we continue our series here, it's been a few weeks between vacation and surgery and recovery and all those things, but I'm looking forward to getting back into our series in the book of Galatians, still seeking the Lord as to where he wants us to go after Galatians. We've only probably got just a few messages left here out of chapter six after tonight. And so you will be praying about that as well. I we want to give our church the food that God wants them to have. And so let's be praying for God's leadership there. Once you've found your place in Galatians 5, if you'll stand in honor of God's word, we'll read our text together. Just because it's been a few weeks and we're kind of in the middle of a flow of thought, I do want to go back uh, and just read here at the beginning, beginning in verses in verse 13, and we'll read through the end of the chapter. We're just going to cover verses 24 through 26 tonight. Um, but for flow of thought, let's start in verse number 13. The Apostle Paul is told them already here in chapter 5, verse 1, to stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And so we come to verse 13, and he says, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. That kind of lets us in that that while they're dealing with these doctrinal issues that it's creating some havoc in the church, some divisions, some fussings and some fightings are going on. And so now he's kind of telling them what the remedy for that is. Don't don't bite one another in love serve one another. And so he says this in verse 16, this I say then, walk in the spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And so this division, this, these uh, lashings out, these bitings, this devouring one another, this consuming one another, this is coming from the flesh. And so we need to know how to not allow the flesh to operate in our lives. And so he says in verse 17, For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary, the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies. Envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, if the works of the flesh are being manifest in your life, you're living as though you don't even have Jesus Christ. You're living as though you don't belong to the kingdom of God. Verse 22, but... The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such, there is no law. Now, here's our text for tonight. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. Okay, and so that last verse tells us, it refers back to when he was saying, don't use your liberty as an occasion for the flesh. Don't let the flesh run wild in your life, but by love serve one another. And so if you're biting and devouring one, or, one another, you better watch out or else you're going to be consumed Of each other. And so his solution to these fleshly manifestations in our life is to walk in the Holy Spirit. And so that's the overarching discussion here. The thought that we're going to look at tonight is this living out who you are in Christ. And so may God bless his word. You can be seated, and we'll consider that tonight. I'm going to ask Noah to come up and help me out uh, to get our message started tonight. Noah is a, going into his fourth year at Heartland Baptist Bible College, going to be a senior. So he's finished three years. But I want you to imagine with me instead that Noah is a college football player. It's a little bit hard to imagine right now, but let's say he's a wide receiver. And he plays not at Heartland Baptist Bible College, but he plays at the University of Oklahoma, Big 12, soon to be SEC school. So big time football. You need to hit the weight room. You look a little bit like a freshman right now. But he's he's a Oklahoma Sooner born and bred. Let's just say he grew up in Norman, just south of Oklahoma City, where OU is. And that's his that's his team. That's, he's had the posters on his wall since he was a kid. I don't think Noah even has a college team, but, so we're really using our imagination here. But he grew up, and he just loved OU. And then in high school, he finally got the scholarship offer to go to OU. And so he's gone there, and he spent three years playing wide receiver at OU. But he finishes his third year, and he begins to think through what he wants to do with the future of his life. Because, first of all, he's not incredibly athletic. Maybe he's had a decent career, caught some passes, maybe even a few touchdowns. Uh, but he's not going to the NFL. And so he's decided, you know, maybe I want to take a different track here for my last year. But, but OU doesn't have those classes. And so I think I'm going to transfer. And so he decides he's going to transfer to Oklahoma State. And so he's gonna take off the crimson and cream and he's gonna put on the black and orange and so it's just a choice that he's that he's made they had the program it was nearby he wanted to stay near home so he decided to put it on and it looks a lot better on him than the crimson and cream does just like it does on just about anybody else and so now he's a cowboy he has changed teams now he does things the cowboy way Coach has a mullet now and it's really cool. And and so anyhow, so he's immersed in the cowboy culture and he's completely changed teams. Everything's different. He looks a little different than he would as a Sooner. And so that's what he's done. Well, he goes through the season. He's enjoyed his season. And then he comes down to the last week in November and it's rivalry week and it's time to go back to Norman and to play against the old team. Now, because this was his team all growing up and where he just spent the last three years of his college career, he's looking at it and and there's some conflicted emotions here. He knows he's part of a new team. He knows he's a cowboy, but he still has that crimson and cream blood kind of coursing through his veins. But you know what he's not going to do? He's not going to walk into that stadium and put on his crimson hat with the cream OU letters on it. No, he belongs to a different team now. So he has different colors. He's not going to go back to the old colors, but there's something about that school that's got the old pole on his life. There's something about it that's got some childhood memories, some things, some memories from there that had some pleasure in his life. And so he's got this issue that he's wrestling with deep down inside. Well, before you got saved... You were wearing the crimson and cream. There was a way you did things in life. There there were uh, certain sins that you partook in that you had no problem with. You took pleasure in those. You enjoyed them. And so you lived your life that way, and it looked completely different than you do now. When you got saved, you changed teams. You were given a whole new team. You were given a whole new life. Everything looked different for you. Your your life looked different. Your dress looked different. Your smile looked different. Everything in your life was changed when Jesus Christ saved your soul. But if you're honest, there's something about that old life that still has some appeal. There's something about that old team that seemingly continues to draw you back to it. And you just can't seem to get out of it it's a struggle uh, there's something about it that there have been times maybe that you've tried on the old colors maybe times that you've dabbled with the old look and you've struggled to let go of your past identity and to embrace who you now truly are in Jesus Christ there are times you've still struggled with the flesh there are times that you've still struggled with anger with Bitterness with resentment toward people and jealousy. Maybe you've still struggled with gossip or with selfishness or greed. Those might still be a part of your life. Maybe you've still struggled with lust, with porn or with sexual indulgences. You've struggled with cussing and using God's name in vain. That's something that was a, such a part of your old life. That when you got saved, it was the hardest thing for you to let go of. And maybe you still struggle. It might be drinking. It might be smoking. But there, th- that although you have changed teams and although you're wearing a different jersey, there's still things about that old life and that old flesh that have a pull on you. They might even have a grip on you. Well, you may even be of this position. I want to do right but I just can't seem to get victory. Thank you, you can go sit down. Paul, through the Holy Ghost, has done a wonderful job in this book explaining that righteousness, holiness, this new life, does not come by policy. It doesn't come by rules and regulation and law, but rather it comes through the death of Jesus Christ and the gift of the Holy Spirit that is received by faith. What what we've seen as we've gone through chapter 5 here is that the way to live righteous in the liberty that Christ has given you is to walk in the spirit. That if you'll walk in the spirit you will not fulfill The lust of flesh and that your spirit and your flesh war against one another so that you can't do the things that you would. The spirit combats your flesh so you don't do the deeds of the flesh, but your flesh combats your spirit so you don't do the wishes of the Holy Spirit. And so you've got this war that rages within you. We've seen this, that you shouldn't live after the works of the flesh. Because if you live after the flesh, you end up living for what you've been liberated from. That's what happens when you live after the flesh. We've seen that rather than living after the flesh, that you should live after the Spirit. And the reason that you should live after the Spirit is because the Spirit of God can produce fruit in your life that the flesh never can. And so what we've seen here is that it's clearly better that as a believer you live after the Spirit and not after the flesh. That's very easy to say, but much more difficult to do. And so the question for us is this, okay, I know it's better to live after the spirit, but I am constantly in this battle and really losing this battle with my flesh. And so how can I make sure that I do live after the spirit so that I don't live after the flesh? How do I I allow these truths to become a reality in my life and get victory over the works of the flesh? How do we allow the Spirit to bring forth His fruit in our lives? That's what the last few verses of this chapter are about. Paul says that those who belong to Christ have crucified their flesh. It says there in verse number 24, and they that are Christ's, Have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. Question, who is he talking about when he says they that are Christ's? Well, he's talking about believers. He's talking about those who belong to Jesus Christ. He's talking about that when you choose to place your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, you become his own. You become a child of. Of God. You become the crown prize of his inheritance. That possession that Jesus that that took him all the way to the cross because he saw that he would redeem sinners unto himself and reconcile them back to God. You as a believer are Christ's prized possession. You belong to him. And that is a transaction that can only take place by complete. Faith in Jesus Christ, by faith in Jesus alone, by grace alone, through faith alone. When you made that decision to trust Christ as your Savior, there was a fundamental change that took place in your life. First of all, what happened is your sin was nailed to the cross with Jesus Christ to where you no longer have to face the guilt and the shame of your sin. You no longer come before God in a condemned state, but rather you are free from all condemnation. Your sin is forgiven. It's removed from you as far as the east is from the west. It's cast into the deepest part of the ocean, never to be remembered by God again. Your sin has been done away. In Jesus Christ. Number two, when that happened, Jesus' perfect righteousness was freely given to you through his death on the cross. Now you no longer have to stand before God in your unrighteousness, but you stand before God in his righteousness. That's a fundamental change in your life. But there's something else that took place in your life, and that is this, that when you trusted Christ as your Savior, Not only was your sin nailed to the cross, not only was his righteousness given to you in exchange for your sin, but your fleshly sinful nature was also nailed to that cross. It was executed. That's what a crucifixion would mean in the eyes of first century believers, is that that flesh was executed, that it died right there with Jesus. The truth of the matter is this, that before you trusted Christ as your Savior, you were dominated, owned, and ruled by your sinful flesh. Amen. That whatever your flesh wanted to do, it's just what you did. If you indulged in food, you indulged in food. If you indulged in porn, you indulged in porn. If you wanted to uh, go on vacation, you go on vacation and you blow all your money gambling. It's, whatever your flesh wanted to do is what you ended up doing ultimately. You were bound to your flesh. You were incapable of living righteous before God. Your response to everything was fundamentally sinful, selfish, and fleshly. That's what happens when you're in your sin. When that fleshly nature is the only thing at work in your life. But when Jesus saved you, he nailed your flesh to that cross. He liberated you from the dominion of your flesh. And he empowered you to respond to the Holy Spirit. He made that change in your life. Paul says that they that have cruci- they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. This word translated have crucified is written in the aorist tense, which means that it was an event that took place at, at one particular time in history, but it has ongoing effects today. Think of the Declaration of Independence was signed on July 4, 1776. That was a one-time event in United States history, and yet it has ongoing effects for us today. We are still free. We are still independent. We are still not bound by another country. We still have the Bill of Rights and the liberties that we have. And so it was a one-time transaction with ongoing effects. That's what this means when it says, they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh. Now, There's a little bit that might appear confusing here. This is written in the active voice, which means that the subject had a function in this action. And so when you read it at face value, what it looks like is this, that I as a believer have a responsibility to nail my flesh to the cross. It almost seems to communicate that it's a work that we do, but that doesn't fit this context because what he has said is whenever there's a work that you do, you mess it up because your flesh gets in charge. And so what does it mean here? Does it mean that I have to crucify my flesh? Well, it's it's important to see that he says they that are Christ's have crucified their flesh. So how is the flesh crucified? By your choice to trust in Jesus. By you placing your faith in Jesus Christ, it was actually Jesus who crucified your flesh to the cross. Because if you go back to Galatians chapter 2, Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. That crucified is passive, which means that he was crucified with Jesus by Jesus. And it's kind of the same thing, that it was your, your, your faith in Christ allowed Christ to crucify your flesh. That was a one time uh, event in your life that continues to have an ongoing effect today. And so when Jesus uh, nailed your flesh to his cross at salvation, here's what he did. He freed you from its stranglehold on your life. He freed you from its binding power that you had yes the flesh is still present anybody else recognize that Every single day, we've got to battle the flesh because our flesh, uh, just like these works of the flesh, it wants to get angry. It wants to get bitter. It wants to get ambitious. It wants to trample all over people. It wants to go off at people. It wants to lust. Yes, our flesh is still absolutely present with us, but unlike your condition before you were saved, because of Christ, you now have response ability. The ability to, to respond to your flesh rather than reacting to your flesh. Reaction is when you're driving down the highway and somebody right in front of you slams on your brake and you slam on your brakes and you come over to the other side. That's reaction. It's self-preservation. It's whatever I've got to do here to end up with my life. That's what your flesh does. It, It reacts. You react to your flesh when you don't have Christ. You just do whatever the flesh wants to do. Response is when you're actually paying attention down the road and you see all those people that are starting to slam on their brakes. And so you can come to a nice stop without slamming your brakes, without swerving, without endangering other people. That's that's what we're talking about. The ability to respond. It means that your temptation can come up and your flesh can want to do its thing. But you can say, no, I'm going to refuse the flesh. That's not something that you can produce on your own. That's something Jesus had to produce. And he did when he nailed your flesh to the cross with his body. That's what he did. He gave you the ability to respond, the freedom to choose right instead of wrong. And so now those sinful affections and lusts and lustful desires, as he says here, They don't have to be acted upon because they were crucified right along with your flesh. You don't have to live under the dominion of your flesh anymore. This means that you have the freedom to choose what is right over what is wrong. You have that freedom now. You have the freedom not to blow up at someone. You have the freedom not to look at pornography. You have the freedom to uh, not to gamble, not to drink, not to smoke. You have the freedom not to get jealous, not to get bitter, not to hold a grudge against somebody who's done you wrong. You have the freedom not to eat a whole bag of potato chips. You have the freedom not to eat three pieces of cake. You have the freedom now not to eat three bowls of chips and salsa at the Mexican restaurant. No, you can restrain what your flesh does, those the inability to stop eating is just another sign that the flesh is in control that i'm going to do whatever my flesh hungers after right now but what what paul is telling us is that if you belong to christ that flesh has been crucified which means this you don't have to do anything that your flesh tells you to do anymore you've been freed you have the freedom not to hit the snooze button and to get up and to spend some time with god you've got that freedom See, before you were saved, you were bound to the lusts and the affections of your flesh. But in Christ, they that are Christ's, that is no longer the case. You're free. That's what Paul's communicating here. He's showing them in verse 24, their freedom from the flesh through the death of Christ. Now, in verse 25, he shows them the freedom they now have to walk in the Spirit. It says in verse 25, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. And so what he's saying here is that those who live in the Spirit have a responsibility to walk in the Spirit. This actually is pretty parallel to verse 24 in this. He starts with who you are and then he gives a responsibility with who you are. In verse 24, You are Christ's. Your flesh is crucified. Therefore, you are free, able to respond right. And then in verse 25, he says, you have life in the spirit. You now live in the spirit. That's who you are. And so now you have a responsibility to walk in the spirit. You can now live after the Holy Spirit. And so that's what he gives us in verse 25, that that what happens is that prior to salvation, you were living in the flesh. You were dead to the spirit. And and so when you were dead to the spirit, you did whatever the flesh wanted to do. But what he's saying is when you trusted Jesus as your savior. The spirit of God moved into your life and he regenerated that spirit that was dead in trespasses and sins and he quickened it and he made it alive so that now you can respond positively to the working of the Holy Spirit. He gave you a whole new life, one that is no longer alive to the flesh and dead to the spirit, but now one that is dead to the flesh and alive to the spirit. That's the life that you have been given. And with this new life comes this responsibility to walk in the spirit. We've talked about that before. Basic meaning means to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. The idea is if I had one of my kids up here and I was playing follow the leader, you know, they're following me behind and everywhere I go, they're supposed to go. And, and no matter how fast I go or how slow I go, you know, they're supposed to follow me, to stay in step with me. And so the idea of walking in the spirit is wherever the spirit goes, I go. Whatever the Spirit says, I say. Whatever the Spirit says, I do. If the Spirit says, speak, I speak. If the Spirit says, be quiet, I'm quiet. If the Spirit says, walk away, I walk away. If the Spirit says, get involved, I get involved. It's the idea of going wherever the spirit goes, following his leadership, keeping your life in step with him. That means that in every situation of your life, the spirit is going to speak. And if you have the ears to hear, you need to have the ability to respond. And he's saying Christ has given you that ability to respond. And so in this specific context in which Paul is applying this, if you follow along here, it's like he's saying this. You need to he's saying he's saying don't live after the flesh. You need to live after the spirit. And he's saying so if we're going to do that, then let's remember who we are. We are free in Christ. Let's remember who we are. We are able to respond to the Holy Spirit. And so let's walk in the spirit. Let's keep that flesh crucified. Let's walk in the Holy Spirit. And then he says this, which means verse 26, let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. These are the lusts of the flesh. These are the works of the flesh, and they're being manifested in your church right now because of this doctrinal division and maybe because of the schisms between Jews and Gentiles that are developed as a result of this. Now there's this biting, there's this devouring, there's this consuming, this this provoking one another, challenging each other to a competition is literally what that means. So you got all these problems in the church, and he's saying these are the works of the flesh, and they have no place among God's people. Don't live after the flesh. Live after the Spirit. And the way that you do that is to remember, I am crucified with Christ, and I am able to walk in the Spirit. I live in the Spirit. Well, what he's saying is we've been freed from the flesh, to live in the spirit so how about we just live like it live like it's true sounds pretty easy doesn't it well it's far easier said than done because we still have this flesh that is raging against our spirit and it wants its way and we battle it every single day of our lives so what's the solution here We can clearly see that God's plan is not for us to walk after the flesh, that his plan is for us to walk after the spirit. But it's so much easier said than done. So how in the world do we walk in the spirit rather than the flesh? Well, the determining factor between living after the spirit and living after the flesh is ultimately your identity, who you are specifically in Christ. What do you mean by that? Well, if you follow the apostle's logic here, what he's saying is this, that if you belong to Christ, then your flesh has been crucified. Truth number one. Truth number two, if you are living in the spirit, then you are able to walk in the spirit. And so what what Paul is doing is he's pointing them to who they are in Christ, to their true identity in Christ. I am crucified. I am freed from the dominion of my flesh, and I am freed to live in the spirit. That is who I am. That identity was their true identity. And it, was, it wasn't an identity that they would, could come up with on their own. It was an identity that was given to them by God. It was God who said, By your faith in Christ, I declare you righteous. By your faith in Christ, your flesh is crucified with Christ. By your faith in Christ, I am giving you the Holy Spirit to be able to combat your flesh so that you can live righteously before me today. I am giving you this identity, freed from the flesh, to live in the spirit and that is an identity that doesn't change with their temptation it doesn't change with their circumstances it doesn't change with their background or their upbringing no that eternal identity is as eternal as God himself who gave it to them it can never change this identity in Christ is permanent and this identity ought to shape the life of every believer but unfortunately, we all know it doesn't. Noah and I have been studying this book um, this summer called Atomic Habits. And it's not a spiritual book, it doesn't have any scriptural references or anything like that. It's about making small changes uh, to your life, written by a man by the name of James Clear, who's become somewhat of an expert on building good habits and breaking bad habits. And so. We've been going through uh, this book and and uh, he talks about the science of how habits are formed in our lives, how our brains are wired to react. But, you know, what's interesting is as you read through secular books, any book that has something about like unlocking the secret to this, what you find as you read it from a Christian perspective is the principles they're communicating are very clearly principles of Scripture. They they don't acknowledge them as that. They may not even be aware of that. But what that shows is anything that's true really belongs to God. So we're reading through this and we came to chapter two a couple of weeks ago and it's entitled this, How Habits Shape Your Identity and Vice Versa, How Your Identity Shapes Your Habits. And and so he makes this statement, Behind every system of actions is a system of beliefs. That behind everything you do is ultimately something that you believe inside, okay? If I'm thirsty, if I drink this water, it's because I believe this water is going to satisfy my thirst. It's a very simple way to look at it. And so it's my beliefs that shape my actions. He goes on to say this, that behind every, or I messed that up, it's hard to change your habits if you never change the underlying beliefs that lead to your past behavior, okay? Let me just throw this a different way. Let's say this was gasoline, (laughs) okay? If I believe gasoline is going to, uh, it's going to satisfy my thirst and it's not gonna hurt me, I can have that belief system and I can drink it, but it's gonna be disastrous for my body. It's not gonna quench my thirst. It's gonna create a lot of problems for me, okay? And so if I'm, I mean, (laughs) This is crazy. I actually saw this. Maybe it was at it was at work. Uh, They showed me a video of this person who was addicted to gasoline. See, you thought I was just messing around. This person drinks about four gallons of gasoline a day. Unbelievable. And so they took her in and she didn't believe it was bad for her because she wasn't feeling sick or anything. She just loved the taste, loved the smell. And so she drank this much gasoline every day. Well, when they take her to the doctor and the doctor tells her, shows her the ultrasound, shows her the x-rays, shows her the damage this is doing to her body, it changed her belief system. She said, okay, gasoline is going to ruin my life. I've got to stop drinking gasoline. That's a very extreme, disgusting example. But what it shows you is this, that that if you're going to change some horrible habits in your life, There's a belief system behind it that are formulating those decisions that are causing them. And so if you want those habits, if you want, let me put it this way, if you want those fleshly, uh, sinful choices in your life to be changed, there's an underlying belief system that has to be changed. And I would say this, it is your identity. It's who you are. Maybe to put this statement into spiritual terms, Behind every spiritual response is a spiritual identity. And the only way to change the response is to change the identity. And so he gave the example in his book of two smokers trying to quit smoking. Okay, so you've got one guy on the one hand that he's a smoker trying to quit. Somebody comes, offers him a cigarette, and he says, he says, no, thanks, I'm trying to quit. But he struggles, He has trouble really getting over it. He may give in on occasion or or he may just give up altogether. The problem here was that he was essentially saying this. I'm a smoker who's trying to quit. That was his identity. You have another guy, on the other hand, who he's offered a cigarette and he says, no, thanks. I'm not a smoker. Subtle, but but strong difference there. What he's declaring is this. I am no longer a smoker. That's not who I am. That's not part of my life. And so that cigarette is not attractive to me. I don't want to put it in my mouth. I don't want that smoke in my lungs. I want nothing to do with it. Why? Because I'm not a smoker. Okay. And so you, you see the difference there, that the identity changes your choice and ultimately gives a victory. It's the identity change that leads to the life change. <clears throat> While that's a secular take on it, the truth is, that's really what Paul is teaching us here, that you need to live after the Holy Spirit. But far often, far more often, we live after the flesh. How, how can I get this flipped around? How can I go from living after the flesh to living after the Holy Spirit? How can I walk in The spirit, something needs to change in my life. And what he chooses to deal with under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is the identity of the believer. He says, those who are Christ's, those who belong to him, this is who you are. Your flesh is crucified and you're free. Those who live in the spirit, again, another identity, those who live in the spirit have died to their flesh and thus they can walk in the spirit. They can respond in the spirit. And so he takes the time to deal with the identity. And so what he's teaching here is that you can live after the spirit rather than the flesh by returning to your true identity in Jesus Christ. When Christians struggle with the works of the flesh, they'll often make statements that reveal a false or mistaken identity. You'll hear that. I'm going to give you some examples here. Those who struggle with anger might say something like this. Well, anger runs in my family. I'm an angry person. My brothers are angry people. My dad's an angry man. My grandpa's an angry man. I mean, it's just it's just kind of in our family. Or you might hear something like this. I'm, I'm just angry. It's just my personality. And so you have that when it comes to anger. Then somebody who struggles with cussing will usually say something like this. Well, it's just always been a part of my life or it's constantly in my work environment. It's all I hear all day. The music that they play, the, the, the way that they talk. I mean, I just I hear it all the time. Or maybe it's just part of living of the culture. And so they'll they'll give those reasons. Someone who struggles struggles with gluttony might say, I'm from the South. It's just how we eat. Everything fried, lots of butter, lots of desserts and all that stuff. I mean, it's just how I eat. And so it's how my family ate. I mean, I come from an obese family. Like my my dad was fat. My mom was fat. Their parents were fat. My brothers and sisters were fat. We We all just are that way. They might say it that way. Whenever you have a conversation with, Someone who struggles with pornography, they'll often say something like this. Well, every guy deals with it. That's an identity. That's saying because I'm a man, I look at porn. They might say something like this. You know, I I hate it and I want to get over it. And I, I don't want it to be a part of my life anymore, but I just can't help it. It just keeps on overpowering me. It just keeps on overtaking me. I just can't stop. You know what? When you boil all of those responses down, it ultimately comes down to this is what they're saying. I am bound. I'm bound. I'm bound by my flesh. I'm bound by my lust. I'm bound by my personality. I'm bound by my family history. I'm bound by my culture. I'm bound. And and what it actually turns out to be is excuse after excuse after excuse. But at the heart of the matter, it is a Christian believer saying, I am bound. I just can't get over this. But the reality is, that's not true. If you've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, you are not bound. That is not your identity. Your identity is that you belong to Jesus Christ, your sin has been dealt with, your flesh has been crucified. Along with its affections, along with its lusts, your identity is that you now have been regenerated and quickened and made alive to live in the spirit. And therefore you have the ability not to walk after the flesh, but to walk after the spirit. That is who you are. That is your identity in Jesus Christ. But when you get your eyes off of your identity, you begin to think that you are are bound to your flesh and that automatically sends you into a tailspin where you say, I just can't get past this work of the flesh. But it's simply not true. The reality is that Jesus died to make you free. And when you trust in Jesus, your sin, your guilt, your shame, your flesh was nailed to the cross. The chains of your family history were broken. Uh, The dominion of your lust was foiled. The shackles of your anger was destroyed. Your spirit was regenerated by the Holy Spirit. Christ moved into your life alongside the Holy Spirit. And you have been given the freedom to refuse your flesh and to walk in the Spirit. And the very simplistic answer is this. It's time to start living according to your true identity. Not who your family says you are, not what society says you are, not what your college buddies say you are, not what your school system has told you you are. No, it's time to start living according to your true identity, free and unshackled by the flesh, free to live after the spirit. What that means is you don't have to look at that pop up anymore. You don't have to go to that website. You don't have to be bound by, the, by lust because you've been freed by Christ. And so the next time that that temptation comes up in your life, then you've got to have a conversation with yourself. And when you're going, it's got to be so automatic that when that pop up comes up, you just swipe it or you close your phone or something or you have this conversation with yourself that says, I'm not bound to this. This has no hold on my life. This has no ability to keep me from doing what's right and to keep me from being right with God and staying right with God. No, I have power, yet not I, but through Christ in me to say no to this temptation and get rid of it out of my life. That seems all too simplistic, but the reality is it's true. And that's what matters in your life. I don't have to blow up at my coworker anymore because my anger's been crucified. In fact, now because I have the Holy Spirit living within me, I can respond in grace, in kindness, in love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, and meekness and temperance. And I don't even need the Old Testament law to tell me to do that because I got the Holy Spirit. I got something better. I've got Christ living in me who can change my life and get me off the path of the flesh and get me onto the path of the Holy Spirit. I don't have to cuss anymore. That chain's been broken by Christ. I can speak purely and godly around my friends, my family, and my coworker. I don't have to gossip. I don't have to fear. I don't have to worry. I don't, I don't have to, to push people around and walk over them to get what I want. I don't have to be manipulative. No, I can have peace in my relationships. I can have peace in my marriage. I can have peace with my kids. I can have peace at work. I can even have peace at church. Why? Not because of anything I've done, but because of who God's made me to be in Christ. All it was was my faith. All it was was me trusting and acknowledging Jesus as my Savior. And he did away with my sin. He gave me his righteousness and he nailed my flesh to the cross and he gave me the Holy Spirit and he gave me liberty from the flesh to live in the spirit. I don't have to live after my flesh. I can walk in the spirit because Jesus freed me from the flesh and if I will just yield my life and walk in step with the Holy Spirit he is sufficient to clean up my failures to clean up my shortcomings to change me and to make me righteous you can I want I want to give you hope tonight for those that struggle with things like this For those who are bound by anger, for those who are bound by lust, for those who are of this mindset that I just can't get over this, I want to give you hope that that's not true, that Jesus died to make you free. And that is true, and that is your identity, and that is an identity that can't be changed by your upbringing, and it can't be changed by your culture, and it can't be changed by your particular temptation, because it's an identity that was given to you by an eternal God, and that identity stands forever. You don't have to be bound. You can be free. But this identity only comes by faith in jesus christ if you never trusted christ as your savior or if you would look at your life and continuously see yourself as bound with nothing fighting against your flesh then you ought to grapple with this am i christ's do i truly belong to him Do I have him indwelling me? Is his spirit warring against my flesh? Is he helping me walk in the spirit? You gotta grapple with that. Am I living in the spirit or am I still dead in my trespasses and sins and bound to my flesh? If you're not saved, that is your identity. But the good news is that identity can change right here, right now through faith in Christ. Why? Because he did all the work on your behalf. And there's nothing left for you to do. The call of Christ in the scripture for us tonight is to live out who you truly are in Christ. Don't give yourself excuses. Don't let yourself believe a false narrative. Rather, when you're struggling, with your flesh, when you're in a state of giving in to temptation, or when you're in a moment of potentially giving into temptation, and you've got that war going on in your life, what you need to do is return to your true identity. In the book of Romans, Paul puts it this way: Know it to be true, reckon it. To be true and yield. You know who you are in Christ. Free, no longer bound. But what you've got to do is account that to be true in the moment of temptation. And then when the spirit says, you know what? You don't have to live that way. You can live this way. Then you yield your life to the Holy Spirit's control. And he does what he promised to do. And that is to make you righteous. Live out who you really are. Father, we thank you for this.